Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark out for a while. Hey, this is Jackie Cation, and I genuinely do love Audible.com. But this is an ad for Audible.com, so let me tell you about Audible, if you don't know. Audible.com, of course, is where you get audiobooks. And you can get other spoken word audio products, like audio information, I'm told. But I usually get audiobooks, and different people read them. I got all of the Harry Potter books. I have um, Cage Baker. Her first book is on Audible. Yeah. Uh, I would really like that David McCullough book. I talk about it during the show that's upcoming. Anyway, you can get your first book free if you do the podcasting partner thing. So if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash dorkforest. I say dork during the, during the show. It's dorkforest and it's audiblepodcast.com slash dorkforest. You'll get a deal. It's a monthly thing. But quite honestly, it's really worth it. I'm on the phone a lot. You listen to podcasts a lot. Maybe you want to listen to a book on tape. It's super fun. I like it. And of course, they have everything. They have classics. They have romance novels. They have fiction, but they have nonfiction. They have history. They have mysteries and thrillers and science fiction and fantasy. And They have uh, self-help books. They have kids and YA categories. And you can do all of them. Jackie Cation approved. Audible.com. Do it. That's it, the Dork Forest. Hello and welcome to the Dork Forest, everybody. I'm Jackie Cation. That's amazing. Uh, We are at the L.A. uh, Podcast Festival, which is a podcast festival, which is the greatest idea in the world. And uh, my guest uh, this evening is uh, Dork Luminary, Greg Proops. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dork Foresters. That's it. Uh, let's uh, let's talk uh, briefly. I should probably say uh, I'm supposed to say uh, that the sponsor is Audible, and uh, I'm supposed to say that. So I've said it. <laughs> but let me tell you something else about Audible. I fucking love Audible because <laughs> uh, I like a book that's read to me like I'm a tiny child. And, uh, yeah, so if Audible would like to give me a free book, uh, they can. They can uh, give me David McCullough's uh, The Wright Brothers. That's what I would like. Or 1776. Both of those books. Both of those books. Either one. Anyway, uh, so audible.com slash dork. Uh, I think you can still, uh, you can live it up. You can get a deal of some sort or not. And here's what's happened, you guys. Uh, we're here at the Dork Forest here at the LA Podcast Festival. Greg Proops is previously, you might know him as at Greg Proops. On Twitter, on the Twitter, you might know him uh, as the Smartest Man in the World podcast. Are we familiar with that? Right? So, what I... Audible, when you don't feel like reading. <laughs> right. Can't read while you're driving. Gotta listen. Um, yep. So, and Greg Proof's Film Club, which I just discovered, just discovered Greg Proof's Film Club. They're 30 minutes. He talks about the movie they're about to watch for like 20 minutes. They show the movie. Then he talks about it for another 10 minutes. And then everybody fucks off. And it's great. <laughs> it was so wonderful. I listened Thank to three of them the other day. And he's got a book called uh, The Smartest Book in the World, oddly enough. And then that's going to be for sale afterwards. And he'll sign shit. And it'll be great. So I said, w- previously, you've been on The Dork Forest. And yes. you have talked of the history of baseball, but personality driven. It was the most interesting baseball talk because I don't 
care about yeah. baseball. I mean, no one does unless they're an old white guy like me. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you talked ancient history, which I cared more about. But today, I was like, "What do you want to talk about?" And someone voted, and you were like, "Yeah, I can do that." Which is films of the '70s, which is how yeah. I found. Yeah. A particular interest of mine. Before we jump into films in the '70s, can I say one thing? Please. In my book, "The Smartest Man in the World," which is of course available. And fine bookstores nowhere and on Amazon. Uh, Jackie Cation, when the last time I did The Dark Forest, I went out to her uh, palatial crib. Uh, she lives out in Calabasas right near Jessica Simpson. And um, uh, she gave me helicopter. some produce because she grows produce. Oh, right. And she also gave me a book by Amin Malouf called uh, um, The Rock of Tanios. And uh, oh. it made it into my book. I loved the book so much. And oh. I thank Jackie in the back of my book. Oh, wow. uh, and the, the, the premise of my book reviews in my book is, um, let's see here, uh, w- without further ado, the squint and you miss it, little book of littler book reviews, because you have no time for long book reviews. You're very busy uh, looking up Twitter on the phone. <laughs> and so Amin Malouf um, uh, wrote this wonderful book, it's and great. this was my synopsis of it. A tragic story of mistaken identity and revenge set in colonial Lebanon, full of shakes and beauties, a strangely uplifting work scented with pine and coffee. Um, <laughs> And then there's a small buy of uh, Amin Malouf. But it was Jackie what gave me the book. I'd never read it before. I'd read another book by him called, um, oh, Christ, I'm forgetting the name of it. And, that uh, was my favorite one. No. <laughs> no, we one, talked about that the one, one. The other one where he's uh, the famous uh, scholar. Uh, yeah. He's both Muslim, then he's Catholic, then he's Muslim again, then he's Catholic again. And it's a, it's oh, a no. real... Oh, uh, no. What's it called? No, no. It's by Amin Malouf. Someone has a phone. Anyway, uh. Right. Someone will look it up. They're yelling at their iPod now. But I had two books by him. I read The Rock of Tanios and then I kept the other one and, uh, and I can't remember the name of it either. But the guy, he's a Lebanese author who writes in French and, uh, Arabic and that was translated into English and it, they're incredibly beautifully written. Lovely. And so he's pretty. a Christian who, who speaks Arabic. So he's got all those dichotomies going on in his personality. Right, right. So we don't have to kill him. <laughs> Although if he came into this room carrying a device that looked like a clock from the 70s, he might be under suspicion. My favorite thing about that kid is that it had a plug. And I was like, what kind of bomb? I was like, hey, do you guys have an outlet? Right. It's a 14-year-old with a clock. It was a digital clock. It looked like the song should play when the alarm went off, you know? (laughs) You should wake up and be like, carry on my wayward song. Don't you cry no more. Okay, yes. It's, but that was, thank you for putting me in your book. That's awesome. Of course, Jackie. Oh, that is, uh, Greg Proops, uh, a treat. Always a treat, you guys. That's been and our show. Thank you very much for coming out. Thanks for coming, you guys. I think we should keep it brief today. And keep it super tight. So what I did was I, cause I couldn't remember movies of the 70s except for Superman. And, uh, <laughs> So I looked up, I looked up, uh, different lists and there were many, many, many movies I will never see. I'm sure they're very well done, but, uh, they're, 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 it was the, it was the age of, uh, this is what I was told by my brother Russell who loves the movies of the seventies, but he says they're a little navel gazely for me. They're the movies, they're director's movies. They're movies where we know the director, we don't know the actors. It's a very director-driven decade. Um, I would argue against your brother's um, faulty supposition. You should. You and, should. Uh, 
find much uh, much to pick apart in his assertion. However, uh, he loves crap from the fifties uh, and loves them. Like like he loves Connie Francis. Really, he is, I love Connie Francis. Yes, he is the he is <laughs> he, much like yourself, the straightest gay man in the world. Yeah, him and his he's he's living a he's living a great he's living a great life, loving Connie Francis and all of those crooners from then. And then he loves all those. His theory is that it's a good movie if there's one good scene. Oh, that's a good theory, and I agree. I think some movies okay. hang off of one good scene. Okay. No question about it. Uh, uh, you know, because a lot of times you're, you're grasping during the movie, like, what is there anything I can like? <laughs> and then one scene will happen, and you're like, I like that killing. That was all right. Uh, the, the 70s is super director-driven because at the end of the 60s, they'd really come to the end of the rope at the studio system, and no one knew what to do. And all the old guys who were running the studio system were making – uh, crap choices. And so it just so happens at the same time that George Lucas, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, 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 Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Peter Bogdanovich. Kubrick? Uh, Kubrick. Kubrick had been around for ages, uh, had uh, two fantastic movies in the 70s, Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon. Right. If you like navel-gazing, Barry Lyndon isn't navel-gazing. Barry Lyndon is gazing at an oil painting for three and a half hours <laughs> while classical music plays. There's a scene where a carriage goes across the screen, and it takes about five minutes to cross from one end of the screen to the other. And most people would just go like, let's cut to where he's going. But Kubrick's like, not on my time. <laughs> yeah, you oh will watch God. this forever and ever. And wow. also, Ryan O'Neill is the lead, which gives you a real good idea of what decade it was made. Uh, you can so orient yourself. If Jill Clayburgh is the star of a movie, yeah. it's from the 70s. Okay, because that was the only decade she worked. Ryan yeah. O'Neill didn't really... Was he in Paper Moon? Who was in Paper Moon? Yeah, it was him. It was okay. Ryan O'Neill and, and Tatum, and Tatum won the Oscar for that. For and there's Paper a terrible Moon. story that goes after that we'll dispense with. But it, suffice to say, it's a wonderful movie. And Peter Bogdanovich, I really like that movie. It's a fabulous movie, and okay. John Hillerman's in it as oh, the right. cop. Yeah, yeah. And John Hillerman's also in What's Up Doc, and we were just watching What's Up Doc on TV the other day, uh, and, which is also a 70s uh, comedy, and has not one word of swearing in it, and is hysterically funny. We screened it at the Greg Proof Film Club, and people were howling, laughing. Yeah, I, I've never seen that. I saw well, that in Barbara the Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Love- That'll give you a good idea of what year it's from. Wait a minute. Barbara Streisand, wait, weren't they in a movie where he th- she throws in the towel, the that's, boxing? That's the main event. That's from 1980. And, oh, that's uh, 1980. That's okay. a very sexy one. They, they're in the early 80s shorts, and they're squaring off in the poster. And yeah. Scavulo took the picture, and she sang the disco theme song. <laughs> it's really good. It's a fact. We got a first-rate act. When we make love, <laughs> it's the main event. I'm not gay. Still not gay. Still and I not make gay. no case for it that I know the lyrics to the theme song from the main event with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. And what's up, Doc? Because it's Bogdanovich, and he's always 30s campy, right? Screwball. Right. She sings uh, uh, As Time Goes By, and uh, uh, You're the Top. At the end of the movie, you're she the sings top. You're the Top. The Cole Porter song. Yeah, yeah. I love You're the yeah. Top. The, they destroy the hotel room at one point, and John Hillerman, who you haven't seen up to this point, walks into the scene of destruction, the window broken, the bed on fire. And he goes... <laughs> Um, I'm the manager of what's left of the hotel. I fell over fucking laughing. It is the funniest goddamn scene. He says, the staff has a message for you. Please leave. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, there's, I mean, the thing is, is I went through these lists and I was like, there's so many movies I haven't seen that are cheerful movies. Because I, I can't, uh, my, my brother's, 
their favorite movies are things like uh, uh, what's that Jerry Lewis stand-up comedy movie? Oh, The King of Comedy. Yeah, that's from the seventies, yeah. isn't it? That's was it a 79, sad sack. Maybe eighty. I thought it was seventy-three or oh no, it's oh, late seventies. Late seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. That's a that's a wonderful picture. Right, right, but it's clearly like super tense, right? Like oh, yeah. There's a lot of tension. And like uh, Taxi Driver, did it happen or did it not happen? At the end, you're left you're left to decide. Uh, and it's if a, a, I watched it or if I didn't. That was what exactly. I asked. Did I dream this movie? It's like, or, or have I just been told about it so many times? Did it's a really I see prescient it? movie about stalking and the nature yeah. of fame and what happens to people who are maniacs and then become famous from being a maniac. And uh, if you've never seen King of Comedy, I won't ruin the plot or anything, but uh, uh, it also like uh, all about it Eve. was really well done. Really, oh. really well done. And Jerry's perfectly cast because they let him be goofy and they let him be serious. And I think Scorsese let him feel like he was directing a lot of it, <laughs> which uh, was very important to him. That is important to Jerry Lewis to feel like he's in control. Yeah. I don't know Jerry it's Lewis. It's De Niro in a comedy. De Niro. Oh, and, and De Niro. So De Niro plays the bad comic in it and he's quite good. And there's a scene where he shows up at Jerry Lewis's house to stalk him and Jerry Lewis gets furious at him. Right. And it's an amazing scene. And evidently before the scene started, De Niro took him aside and started like berating him with anti-Semitic stuff. And Jerry Lewis was in a tizzy when they rolled. And so he goes, uh, uh, get out of the house. You're a moron or whatever. And Robert De Niro goes, I made a mistake. And Jerry Lewis goes, so did Hitler. Right? <laughs> this isn't a comedy. <laughs> And he's wearing the little red shorty shorts, the Jerry Lewis shorty shorts. Oh, my God. Which one time I remember I, I, I was on Martin Short's show, and uh, we, he had done an interview with Jerry Lewis in Aspen the, the, the right. couple days before. And I said to him, had you interviewed Jerry before? And he went, Greg, I did. And he was wearing the shorty shorts the last time I interviewed him. And, Greg, it was like tip of the dick, tip of the dick. Again, again, I don't know him, but I feel like that. There couldn't be anything that could sum up Jerry Lewis more. <laughs> He just seems like a piece of work, right? Where you're like the kind of guy who's super funny that you tolerate and you tolerate and you tolerate. Yeah. And then you're like, and we're done. We're done tolerate. You're never going to be funny enough for me to keep hanging out with you. He's a tough nut. I've seen him interviewed a bunch of times and uh, he's Sometimes very Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's it's right. hilarious. And other times within the same sentence, he changes <laughs> right? personalities like four times. And you're like, and we're done. Yeah, yeah I got to move on. But uh, like I did, because I always, I remember as a child loving Dean Martin more than oh, him. Because it was always like, oh, Dean Martin. He's yes. good looking. He's easy going. He's easy funny. Going. He can sing. He's a good actor. Right. Funny. Yeah, yeah. All good. All the time. Yeah. So the movie. Great hair. Great. Yeah, beautiful hair. Beautiful skin. He's got that oily skin. I'm excited. Dean Martin's 70s are, are almost all on television. I don't know if you made hardly any pictures. Maybe one or two of the crap Matt Helm ones. I, my recollection is they're mostly 60s. Right. Uh, I, wasn't it uh, uh, Westerns? Was that the 60s when he was in that yeah, Western? Yeah, he's in a bunch of Westerns in the 60s. And his greatest Western is probably uh, Rio... Um, Grande? Rio Bravo, is it? The one the Howard Hawks one where he's the alcoholic uh, mm-hmm. and, and he, John Wayne and him have to fight everybody. Yeah. It, um, Hawks made it after, uh, he said, because Fred Zinneman in High Noon has Gary Cooper fighting the bad guys all by himself, right? In High Noon, the sheriff goes to everyone and says, will you help me? And everyone goes, no, we're too scared. And in Rio uh, Bravo, he, everyone helps him. He right. said it's the opposite. He's got a teenager played by Rick Nelson. He's yep. got Dean Martin. He's got Angie Dean. Like, no one will leave the sheriff alone <laughs> in this movie. And, uh, right, and he's got to protect all of them. Yeah, and he has and to save them all. He has to save them all. Yeah, that'll happen. Uh, Dean Martin's fantastic in Westerns. We were watching a really crap one the other day that was like a romantic, uh, not a romantic, it was a romantic comedy with uh, Deborah Kerr and Frank Sinatra, and all of Sinatra's kids were in it. Frank Sinatra Jr., 
Tina. Oh, yeah. Nancy. Oh, my God. It Nancy. so cornball. And Frank's kind of a dad in it. And they take him to the 60s place, and everyone's fucking fruging and shagging <laughs> madly and shit. And Frank's at the table like, oh, oh. <laughs> And my wife goes, is like, Dean even participating in this movie? Because he'll be on him, and he'll be like, anyway... You're like, <laughs> why didn't you just phone this in from your room? Right, right. They could have just taken a still shot and yeah. then just sort of cut him in. Oh, that's good. Right, just have his lips move. Oh, that's really wild. You know what was on none of the, the none of the great movies of the seventies was uh, Dirty Harry. None of the great none of the lists had Dirty Harry on it, and I genuinely love Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry is a, is a tremendous movie. We just showed Bullet a couple weeks ago in Scotland at the film club, and Bullet's from '68, uh, I guess. And uh, Dirty Harry totally lifted a bunch of riffs from Bullet. One, everything's in San Francisco. Okay. Two. The elbow patches, because that was Steve McQueen's big innovation, right? Steve McQueen's wardrobe in Bullet is so superb. Little suede bootlets, uh, fucking tight-ass jeans, a turtleneck. There's a, uh, you know, like his, his wardrobe is to die. And um, uh, he, he went to the producer before they made Bullet, and he said, I've got an idea for a cop movie. And the guy goes, there's a lot of cop movies. And he goes, a cop with leather patches. McQueen actually said that, supposedly? So in all the Dirty Harry movies, he wears a tweed jacket with leather patches on them, right? Yeah. Which is the opposite of how cops dress, which is always a rumpled suit, right? A crap yeah, right. suit. Cops are always in a bad suit with a yellow tie, and you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. But not those cops. You know, uh, I've never seen Bullet. I've only seen Dirty Harry. Bullet's the opposite of Dirty Harry, because Dirty Harry's a sociopath who wants to mete out justice, whereas Bullet is trying to get justice, and the system is grinding him down, as portrayed oh. by Robert Vaughn, the evil bad guy, who wears a three-piece suit with a gold chain. Oh, I need, yeah. That indicates corporate asshole. <laughs> whereas a turtleneck when you're a cop with fucking suede booties and a, and a, oh my God. Yeah, you are justice. Raincoats. They're always wearing raincoats and topcoats. It's never that cold in San Francisco. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's well. It's it's sort of it's. I have the same problem with. I saw High Society before I saw Philadelphia Story, yeah. and uh, and then I so I was like, no, I don't want to see the black and white one. I want to see the color one where he sings about Mars. Yeah. And then I finally saw Philadelphia Story, and my mind was blown, of right. course, because it's so much better than High Society. I love High Society still. I still it's catchy. Anyway, uh, well, High Society's lovely. I yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. But I mean, Grace Kelly, you know, whatever. Never but, jumped in the pool. No, she did. Catherine Hepburn jumped in the pool. Yeah. She's nowhere near the comedian that Catherine Hepburn, or the athlete. So oh, Catherine the- Hepburn was like rowing and rowing on ice and she was a maniac when she was like in her 80s. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, Catherine Hepburn was a, a much better person. No, I don't know I that. Don't know. But I mean, but she, although I mean, they she say better- Grace Kelly was the altar for the solar temple, uh, you know, in Switzerland, right? And that she would, they would put needles in her and she would orgasm continuously. It was some, some really weird cult shit. Uh, there's no, people are never sure how great. I'm not kidding. Wait. The Grace solar Kelly temple, could right? orgasm continuously? Yes, she belonged to this weird cult in Switzerland. How do I right? join this cult? <laughs> Clearly, I don't know why I gotta see. See me you after there. the show, I have a coupon. <laughs> you, you have to have a card. It's just a big gold O. <laughs> well, did you ever? <laughs> Have you heard? It's in the stars. Anyway, um, yeah. So, but uh, there, there are so many. Like for me, all of. But, but my favorite movie of the seventies. When I think of the seventies, I think of the early seventies. I think of American Graffiti. Oh yeah. And Harold and Maude. Oh my goodness, those Just, are wonderful pictures. Right, because and first of all, George Lucas never messed with American Graffiti. He didn't put the pod racer no, no. in the drive-in. Right. He scene. didn't CGI in. Paul Lamette's had to be Jar Jar Binks or whatever. <laughs> I just see Paul and George Lucas going, I always wanted Paul Giamatti to be in that movie. <laughs> and so he's going to be. Yeah. And uh, you're like, no, 
please no. And then, and then Harold and Maude was just, I mean, it was revolution. I saw it in college and I was, my mind was blown. That and hair. Uh, uh, really? Yeah. I left out Hal Ashby. Hal Ashby was an editor and he edited Heat of the Night and lots of good movies. And then they gave him a gig directing and he made Harold and Maude. Okay. And then also, uh, The Last Detail and Shampoo in the seventies and, uh, Coming Home as well, maybe? The same guy? He's a, he's a major seventies director. And Wes Anderson is the director that I think is the most like Hal Ashby. Yes. Uh, he doesn't have as many quirks as, uh, uh, Wes Anderson, but I think that, that feeling, uh, that Wes Anderson goes for, where everything's still, you know, like in Moonrise Kingdom, they put on a, a, a Francois whatever record and yeah. dance to it, even though it has and nothing to do with it. Close and play. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Everything's always this weird netherworld where what decade are we in? Like Rushmore, what decade are we in? No one has a cell phone. Right, right. But it was, I believe, <laughs> cell phone times. Yeah. That's what these are, you guys. We're living in the cell phone times. That's what they're going to call it when we're all dead. Um, the, uh, but my favorite Wes Anderson is... Uh, Am I saying that right? Anyway, but uh, is uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox? Really? Be- well, only because I th- his movies always have that laid back feel that of I'm not trying kind yeah. of thing. It's just like I threw something together. But the Fantastic Mr. Fox is so clearly so much. It's stop action animation. You did not get together with Meryl Streep and George Clooney on a weekend and throw this together. Right. But it has that vibe to it where you're like. Oh, it has this sort of, well, no, I don't care. You like it. You can not like it. I don't care. Right. You care. You care. It took years to make the fantastic Mr. Fox. I've never seen that one, but it's, I guess I no, should. It's tell. very sweet. It's yeah. very sweet, but it has that, it has that vibe that I never noticed in his other films, right. which all have that laid back feel of you can like it or not like it. I like it. Right. Yeah. Especially the, the Royal Tenenbaums, which is sort of like what? Bad Salinger. And, yeah. Uh, that one, that one kind of, lo- that's not the paciest one. No, no, it's slow, but it, uh, but uh, I think Gene Hackman, right? Gene Hackman's unbelievably funny in it. Yes. And he reminds me of my father. Me too. So, of, of my dad or your yeah, own? Your yeah. dad and yeah. my dad. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, Al, if you ever saw a movie called uh, The Slums of Beverly Hills with yes. Alan Arkin, Al, yes. that, that character is, that's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, horrible. When I talked, right? When I just talked to my dad because I was watching Dick Cavett interview Groucho Marx, oh, yeah. and I said, "Hey, Dad, I was thinking about you," because uh, I was watching Groucho Marx being interviewed by Dick Cavett. He said, "I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I'll take that." Yeah. And I was like, "You should be flattered because that's the best example of you." I mean, right. it's instead better... of Nazi war criminals or whatever, right? <laughs> exactly. Instead of something less exciting from Tin Man, <laughs> and uh, so. But, uh, so what, what were your, what were your favorite movies from the seventies? I love, uh, the three musketeers and the four musketeers with Faye Dunaway, Oliver Reed, Richard Chamberlain, oh. thank you. Uh, and, uh, Frank Finley, and, uh, th- I think that they capture the spirit of, uh, Dumas, um, uh, George McDonald Frazier, who wrote all the Flashman books, um, did yeah. the screenplay for it. It's very funny. Raphael Welch is funny in it. Yeah. Um, those were, I love those movies. Christopher Lee as Rochefort is just, just, just no one better. In the second picture, him and Michael, uh, York have an enormous sword fight. Well, there's about five million sword fights. It's the three fucking musketeers. Right, it's all sword fight. But they have a sword fight that ends, uh, uh in a church and everything, and it's just, uh, if you wanna have, I mean, Oh, I I'm an 11 year old boy always. Right. And, uh, I love sp- swashbuckling. If I could, I'd wear a plume in my hat and walk around with turned up boots, but, uh, do I can't. It. Look at me. Do I can't it. do it. So that movie is my favorite. Uh, I have an Amelia air hat I wear sometimes really? when I'm sitting around. Really? Do you just put it on? Yeah. Just put it on. Goggles and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amelia. 
Air hat. Is your dad, is your, is your husband the co-pilot or? Uh, he bought it for me. Oh, nice. Yeah. I also have moccasins. It's a, it's a, Do you ever I'm, feel disoriented when you're wearing it? Like you're going to land on an island to be worshipped by natives and stuff and they never sometimes found I, Sometimes I get lost. Sometimes yeah. I do feel lost. Right. <laughs> the guy who wrote Flashman wrote the Three Musketeers sketch. He wrote the screenplay, screenplay for it. And, uh, uh Oliver Reed, uh, there's so much great sword fighting in it. It's very brawly and that's what makes it different than those 40s and 50s, uh, and 30s swashbuckling movies. They don't just dance up and down the stairs and do on guard and all that. They throw stuff at each other. They, 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 <laughs> right, they they're constantly yeah, whooping they things. Kick, they other. kick each other. Like, it's really, and Oliver Reed evidently, they're all trained, uh, sword fighters, stage fighters, obviously. Right. They, uh, all from the stage. Richard Chamberlain, who plays English in every movie and he's from America, somehow him and Vincent Price are English in every movie they're in, and yet they're not fucking English at all. I didn't know that. And he's, uh, he's, um, Aramis, who's the one who's starting for the priesthood. But, uh, Oliver Reed was very brawly. And, um, they would all do their sword fights with all the stuntmen. They had hundreds of stuntmen on this picture because everyone had to fight. Right. Uh, Oliver Reed, the stuntmen would be when they'd come onto the set that day, who's gonna fucking fight him? I'm not doing it. And like, no, you do it. Because you watch the fights in, in the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers. Oliver Reed wraps his cloak around his arm and hits people in the head and then kicks people. And like, evidently he was full tilt boogie on the set. <laughs> and all the stuntmen were like, Jesus, fuck, you know? I'm going to get my eye poked out here, you know? Like, for right. real, they're fucking real swords, you know? And so I love it for that. Um, Charlton Heston, who is very wooden, is wonderful as Cardin Richo in the movie. Yes. Uh, because he's dismissive and arch and cold. And he he never wants to play that in movies, but that's what he was really like, I think. Yeah. You know, Charles yeah, Heston's always just, you know, perfect posture, right? And then at the end of the movie, they come up to him and they try to petition him for something, and he goes like this. And it's like one of the funniest things you'll ever see Charlton Heston do. <laughs> He's never fey and dismissive, right? He right? never goes like that. And what is it? Oh, Christopher Lee says, uh, uh, he says, do you hate me, my child? And he goes, I fear you. And Charlton Heston goes, well, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> that is spooky. And Faye Dunaway is super hot in it. Super screaming, smoking, fucking hot in it. She's amazing. She's a cat in it. Okay. Oh, but in the second movie, uh, she's got two knives next to her bed that are filled with acid. And she fights Michael York with the fucking bed sheets wrapped around her. And one of the knives hits the table and it goes <laughs> like that. And, there, and then I remember seeing it in the theater when I was a kid and we yeah. all went, oh, my God. <laughs> there were glass knives filled with acid and then oh. me and my friend Tom Matroni we got really high and went to see that double bill of it together at the Laurel Theater in San Carlos and then we went to a playground <clears throat> we were in high school and we were smoking weed and we were pretending to be the Three Musketeers and I ran directly into the pull-up bar with my head like bang Ooh. just cold cocked on the ground for like five minutes I woke up and he was standing over me are you alright man I'm like fucking I'm fine man it's fine <laughs> As long as Richelieu doesn't kidnap the queen. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me you guys were like on top of the monkey bars just with like Oh, we were jumping out. around. But yeah. like, uh, it was dark and my glasses got knocked completely off that's my face. That's it. Yeah. And that's how, that's how it all, that's how it all ends. That's for not comics. my favorite 70s movie. It's one of them. I think okay. The Godfather for people of my generation, when it's on telly, and you're flipping by, no matter where it is in the movie, you kind of have to watch it again, even though you've seen it a million times, like Pulp Fiction or something. Yeah. Uh, and The Godfather really, uh, and Jennifer, my wife, will argue me on this one. She doesn't love it as much as I do, but I, I don't know if it's a guy movie or what the point of it is. It but. is two of my brothers, their favorite movies are the, right. the King of Comedy and The Godfather 1 and 2. And, uh, I saw The Godfather 1, uh, and I saw the end of it, and I was like, oh, this relationship isn't gonna work out. <laughs> These are not good people. No. 
So then, and literally, I mean, my father has some of the biggest dirtbag friends ever, and he was a bagman for a bookie in Milwaukee. Really? In Milwaukee, though. So that is not a Corleone make. That is not a soprano. That is a guy named Frank Pulaski. And uh, so my dad was a bagman for a bookie, and he did it because he had a gambling problem and he had to work it off, uh-huh. right? And so, but he knew the biggest dirt bags. He would tell, this a friend of his just died. A friend of his, Bob Stimmick just died. My dad would tell the stories about Bob Stimmick. He loves Bob Stimmick. Bob Stimmick, hilarious guy. And I'm like, Dad, Bob Stimmick is never the hero of any story uh, you've ever told. He kills people. He's an idiot yeah. and a mean person. He's The last story my dad told me about Bob Stimmick, Bob Stimmick was 86 years old last year, died this year, 87. Not a career cut tragically short. Uh... <laughs> But he was, uh, uh, he had remarried his ex-wife. They had divorced 30 years ago. He remarried his ex-wife while she was on her deathbed so that he could inherit everything, infuriating their children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my dad's like, can you believe it? He got her to remarry him. He got all the money. Got all the money. And I was like, Dad, that's a, that's a bad guy. Yeah. That's, that's a bad person. What about the kids who'd waited forever? Forever and were nice to her for 30 years. Right. And you, and he was not. And he goes, no, that's a good story. And I said, is, is, uh, is Bob Stimmick, holds Bob Stimmick? And he goes, he's 86. And I said, how's his health? And he goes, oh, Bob Stimmick, he's got one foot in the grave, one foot on a banana peel. <laughs> and, uh, and then I said to my dad, I said, so does he, uh, you should ma- you should marry Bob Stimmick, Dad, for the money. Yeah. And now you would think a man that has genuinely slept with every woman that has said yes, with or without being married to people, my father sleeps around, uh, would not be offended at being uh, insinuated that he might be a homosexual. And you would be wrong. You would be wrong. My wow. father was like, that's not funny. Yeah, you crossed and, the line. Yeah, there's, and I was like, it is. It is funny, Dad. <laughs> It's, it's the price you pay for, for having dirtbag friends. And, uh, and, but it was, I mean, so I never could watch things like Goodfellas right. and, and, and The Godfather. I was always like, oh, that's my uncle moron. Right. Yeah. It's right. just like, what a fucking moron. And, uh, just bad life choices. I have a hard time watching bad, but I know that it's well done. I know that, cause I watched The Godfather and I was like, this is beautiful. And I finally got all those Bugs Bunny jokes. <laughs> right? Like, and the horse and the bed and the thing yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and the Godfather 2 is supposed to be even better, quite honestly. Sort of Empire Strikes Back, you know? Cause it, it's, uh, I think the only sequel that ever won Best Picture as well. Oh, really? Uh, it, it, it has De Niro in it when he was not yet a giant star doing Brando. Oh, wow. Uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, I think what elevates those movies and why people put them in such high regard is that the, it's the pace and the tone of the melodrama. Uh, the Goodfellas, they're, awful human beings. Yeah. But the Godfather cloaks it in this veneer of they really care about their family yes. and there's beautiful music and it's stately. Yes. The Godfather is stately. stately. It's punctuated with violence but the violence doesn't happen all the time whereas uh, Goodfellas is a little more rock and roll. It's real. Yeah. It, it feel, it, those people feel like, oh, that's actually what yeah. the mob is like. It's full of... Right. And the Godfather, just, no. They no. didn't meet in dark rooms and wear nice suits and be nice to each other. They, the guys in Goodfellas wanted to be the guys in The Godfather. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. they were... I mean, like, my brothers also love The Sopranos. And I was like, yeah, those guys, they're holding their gun like that because they want to be... You know, the, the gangster guys, but you're like, no, no, we're Godfather. We're this. Yeah, this. You know, we're not. No, 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 no. no. We're, we're, we're not There's gangsters. a whole John Woo moment, yeah. 70s uh, black gangster period where everybody started holding their guns sideways and jumping in the air sideways. And, uh, <laughs> in the old movies, I think you find everyone shot each other quite successfully this way. <laughs> 
because they could aim. Yes, up and down, up and down, sights. Yeah. So what about uh, what about those Jackie Chan movies? Were those from the seventies? Well, he made a bunch in the seventies, but uh, the, I don't think he was popular here as much. I think it was the more the chop sake movies, like Three the Hard Way, and uh, uh, that was the days of Fred Williamson and uh, Jim Kelly and. Uh, 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 Richard Roundtree and all the great black exploitation movies. Oh, Those right. are all worth watching, by the way. Especially uh, the Mac is fantastic. Um, Superfly is a little draggy, but um, it has Curtis Mayfield in it doing the music. Like, he's not just doing the soundtrack. There's a scene where they walk into the bar and there's Curtis Mayfield on stage with his band, uh, wow. and that's what makes black exploitation movies super awesome. And they do a lot of coke in it. And um, <laughs> uh, 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 what's his name? Ron O'Neill, who's still good looking, who plays a uh, priest in, in Superfly. Does his coke with a little cross, right? Out of a vial. Yeah, it's fucking super fucking fly. <laughs> That's why it's called super fly. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is so super fucking fly. What's the Mac? The Mac is a, a pimp one, and Richard Pryor's in it as well. Uh, but the pimp is not the bad guy. The pimp is set against the forces of evil, which are always white police or white oh. gangsters, uh, which is what makes Documentary. Boxwood's. Yeah, and uh, I... I'm a big fan of all the Pam Greer movies, uh, uh, Coffee and... Uh, uh, um, uh, I'm... And Foxy Brown. And then uh, I was thinking Cleopatra Jones, but that's Tamara Dobson, who was very good friends with uh, Pam Greer. And it's the first time that black women get to be superheroes who kick ass and shoot fucking white guys in the face and stuff. And it's really a significant... <laughs> it's a significant moment Pam in movie Greer? history. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, all of a sudden, there's Billy D. Williams and... Uh, uh, um, oh, Okay. Uh, what's his name? He was Robert, Robert Hooks. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the serious movies like Sounder and, uh, with Cicely Tyson and Paul, um. Oh, Sounder. That was on yeah. this list. But, they, but there's also, uh, you know, and then there's the Diana Ross movies like Mahogany and stuff, which are pretty fucking high camp. Uh. Okay. And very sexist. Uh, but there's so, there's every level of, uh, of, you know, th- those type of pictures in the 70s, uh, where black people finally got to be stars. Cause in the 60s, it was basically Sidney Poitier, and Harry Belafonte occasionally, and then they let Brock Peters do a couple lines here or there, or Alfred Freeman Jr., or, Oof. you know, uh, Diane Carroll had a few, like, they didn't give them the starring roles. Right. And Black Exploitation broke that open, uh, and then all of a sudden there's black directors like Gordon Parks Jr., and, uh, uh. Who, who was the, who was the singer in Pillow Talk? Was that Pillow Talk that I'm thinking of? Yeah, oh, I forget her name, uh, the black singer in that, and she was a famous club singer, and yeah. that's why they stuck her in the movie. Okay, yeah, cause they were like, let's get somebody some work. Yeah, right? Yeah. They yeah. actually give a black person lines and let her sing a song in yeah. the movie. Yeah, Even was... though she had Hands Doris Day the music and Doris Day goes, well, I couldn't, all right. Anyway, blah, blah, and start singing and you're like, you're Doris fucking Day. Of course you're going to sing. Yes, you better sing. Yes. If Madonna had been in another era, she would have done those movies too. Yeah. She'd have been in more rom-coms and, and sung in those movies like Barbara did and like Doris Day did. Doris Day will She could be in one of those Nancy, you know those mingling wrinkles, uh, yeah. rom-coms, the Nancy Myers. Yeah. Uh, I think Madonna could be in those. She absolutely a, could. She's the right age. She's, she's the age appropriate age. now. She'd be age appropriate yeah. for Hugh Grant to play opposite her. Sure. And, and then they could both sing. She could be and, the successful career woman whose husband was a louse who leaves her and she lives at the beach. This is a Nancy Myers movie. And, uh. <laughs> oh yeah, she's gotta live at the beach and wear a lot of, uh, uh, Eileen Fisher. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's uh, a lot of draped, uh, linens. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, what's the one with the Diane Keaton as good as, uh. uh, it's, uh it, it, it's, it's only what I want. It's what me, I was, it's, they always uh, have those kind of Crazy titles like as many as it takes or whatever. And uh her, her Diane Keaton's wardrobe in that movie's fabulous. As good as it gets, that's what it is. Which one is it? As good as it gets. As good as it gets, yes, of course. Almost Shakespeare. Uh 
I love that movie, and I love Diane Keaton in it, and I love Frances McDormand in it. Oh uh, my gosh! But yeah. you can't give me bad Frances McDormand. No, no, she makes everything better. Yeah, she's honestly, fucking delicious. Um, uh, Diane Keaton's in a bunch of '70s movies, including all of the Godfather movies, where her acting is not the finest. Uh, she's up against a lot of good actors in those movies. Yeah. James Caan, if there's one magnificent role, it's Sonny in the first picture because he nails it. Oh, he right. spent an entire life with Italian guys coming up to him, going, "You're my favorite Italian actor," and he's Jewish. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Robert Evans said before they made the picture, I'm tired of watching Jews play Italians on screen. I'm going to have an Italian director and an Italian cast. And that's why it's Al Pacino and Marlon Brando and John Cazale and uh, Talia Shire. It's and all fucking Italians and, yeah. uh, and De Niro. And then uh, uh, Robert Duvall, but Robert Duvall plays an, an Irish guy. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, they, cause there had been a movie made a couple years before called, I think, The Organization. And Kirk Douglas plays the Mafia Don. <laughs> And Where that was, was the movie Sheldon? that sent Robert Evans over the edge. He was like, I'm not fucking doing a movie with a Jew playing an Italian in this one. Well, so I, I, didn't Sheldon Leonard play a bunch of Italian guys? Uh, always. He's a, he's a gangster in a million movies. My favorite gangster role of Sheldon Leonard is uh, 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 in Guys and Dolls. He's Harry the yeah. Horse. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Harry the Horse yeah, yeah. In, in Guys and Dolls. Big Julie is angry that you will not get play crooks. He really is. He was alive like that. He's fucking he's fantastic. I, I like him. I'm handing out right. wings. So I'm handing out wings here. Yeah, it's because yeah. he plays Nick the bartender in, uh, in, in It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah. he's so. wonderful in that. Hey, yeah. I'm handing out wings. What is it? We serve hard liquor for people who want to get drunk. You two pixies, out of here. <laughs> I'll have a flaming rum punch. <laughs> Weirdly enough, too weird, uh, in the 90s, a guy told me, he said, you remind me of a female Sheldon Leonard. What? To me. And I was like, I don't even take that as an insult. No, he was really no. funny. Not and he mind produced that. He was died. hilarious. Yeah. And then and then my second favorite thing is one time my brother, one of my brothers said to me, would you ever want Thelma Ritter's career? And I was like, what are you, out of your god? Of course I she's would love. Fabulous. Yeah, she's in a hundred thousand movies uh-huh. and she doesn't, she's there for two days. She gets paid. She's in the movie. She's one of the great character actors hilarious. of all time. Yeah. She's hilarious. She's in Pillow Talk. She plays the drunk housemaid yep, the who drunk. listens on the phone all the yes, time. She's amazing. Uh, she's in, in All Talk. About Eve. She plays Birdie. The, yep. She plays, uh, uh, she's uh, in Margo's. Miracle on 34th Street yeah. where she plays the mom and she's like, mom wants to talk to Santa. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> she's like. You can, adjust, you can still do it, Jax. I, oh yeah, you can. Always Brooklyn and everything. She's super, super Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, Rear Window. Yeah, she's in she's, Rear she's Window. She's the maid in Rear Window. That, that's a very. She's a thousand movie. maids. Yeah. yeah, she was good maid. This is this this is the airport cop of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So uh, this would be the maid. Yeah, I would have been the maid back in the day. Yes. but now it's the airport cop. Right. Or PTA mom, or to pick something else not at random, uh, a German massage therapist for a Disney TV show. <laughs> Jackson, I would, I would watch you in a minute in any of those roles. <laughs> Me and I, I will be Beyonce's weird white sure. aunt. What we'll, do I care? We'll do, let's do a short scene from a movie. I'm, I've got my car parked in a red zone and you're the airport cop. Hey, you can't park there. It'll just be a minute, alright lady? No. Look, I don't have time for this. You know who I am? Step out of the car, please. I said, do you know who I am? Step out of the car, please. Put the gun down. It's a a taser. They don't trust me with a gun. But I will tase you because then I, then it's like the stunner of the, of the current. You could just tase anybody and then count the dead later. Like, just hope nobody has a bad heart. Right. That's what. Okay. I got, I got political, you guys. I got political. The scene got a little, uh, a little polemical, yeah. I don't begrudge that. And so, so what about Rocky? See, Rocky, I think, is one of the greatest movies ever made. Now, the guy who made uh, um, uh, Body and Soul with John Garfield was a director named Robert Rosson. And uh, um, that is a, the original one where the guy comes from the ghetto, 
And, um, you know, he falls in love with the girl. And then the gangster comes into his dressing room on the night of the big fight. And, uh, oh, and wait the, a minute. What movie is this? Body and Soul with John Garfield. Damn. It's from the 40s. And, uh, uh, they, <laughs> no, so John Avelson directed Rocky and Sylvester wrote it, I think. Yeah. But he didn't like that picture because he thought they'd kind of ripped off his plot. But there really is only one plot if you're going to make a boxing movie. Right. You've got to be a palooka with no chance. Right. And gangsters have to come in and tell you you're not going to win at one point. Uh, yeah. And, and in the, in the Garfield one, the gangster's really good. He's blonde, which is unusual. And then he comes into the dressing room and says, you can't win. And John Garfield's like, fuck you. I'm going to win or whatever. Except he doesn't say fuck you. Yeah, yeah. And the gangster goes, in the end, it's all addition and subtraction. <laughs> yeah. Which is chilling, right? <laughs> uh, I think Rocky's a good movie and I'll go even further. Rocky two is a good movie. Oh, Rocky yeah. Two has a wonderful script and, uh, uh, they're, they're well written pictures. They're, 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 uh, well acted. Getting Burgess Meredith and Burt Young to play the character actors in it does a hell of a lot to fucking push the movie along. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, there's sort of wonderful other scenes. There's a yeah. depth to it. You see it, these puppies, Ted? You know, like, you have to have someone do that. <laughs> well, I'll go with my log. I'll come and with my log. <laughs> He's really laying Greg it on with a spoon. you guys. Uh, freaking Greg Proops. They gave him a dog. He has a dog, he has a girlfriend who's kind of a, you know, shrinking violet with the wool watch cap, and, you know, she couldn't get laid if she tried, and now here's this big dude, and, you know, it's really cute. Uh, yeah. So I think it's a winning picture, and I think Rocky II is good. By the yeah. time we get to Dolph Lundgren, the, the franchise is worn a little thin. Um, but I, you know, full marks for him for that one, because uh, he, uh, if also if you want to see Sylvester Stallone in another 70s movie, there's one called um, Bananas by Woody Allen, uh, and he plays a thug on the subway who tries to, they're molesting this girl, and Woody Allen gets up and throws them off the train, and they get right back on the train. <laughs> and Woody Allen goes, <laughs> and they, and it's Sylvester Stallone, and he's young. And oh my quite god. Young. Wow. Yeah, he's in I've, Bananas. And, um, uh, Rocky's a good, Rocky's a decent 70s movie. It won Best Picture that year and everything. And of course, yeah. the theme song goes on forever. Right, right. It's, um, and, it's and, the, it's the, it's the decade where movies went. There's a lot of character studies. There's a lot of arty directors too, like, um, Alina Vertmuller and, uh, Rossellini and, um, uh, uh Bertolucci and, uh, not Rossellini, Bertolucci, uh, who made, uh, and then the, uh, what's, who made The Passenger, um, Antonioni, right, is still going, and it made Zabriskie Point, whatnot. Uh, and and then, uh, the, you know, there's those character study movies, uh, and then the arty arty films like, um, oh, cock, what's his name, the director who made um, Terrence Malick, uh, right? There's Days of Heaven and Badlands, which are very slow paced, beautifully photographed, and then. Star Wars comes in halfway through the decade, and that's what makes movies into what they are now, which is why every goddamn movie is Avengers Assemble. Because <laughs> Star Wars blew the fucking stakes up. Yeah. It, you, you, everything has to have an action figure. Everything yeah. has to be easy for kids to fucking understand. Uh, we've removed a lot of the plot so that it's simple. Uh, although people will argue that he observes Joseph Campbell's unities and all that jazz like that. It really is a giant dividing line because the biggest sci-fi movie before Star Wars is 2001. And right. 2001 is this epic opera that's unfathomable and goes on and on and on. And you have no idea what's happening at any point in the movie. You're right, completely adrift as a viewer. It. I've never been able to finish it. I love it. And I've watched it a million times. And every time I'm watching it, Jennifer will just walk into the living room and go, I thought we'd, oh shit, and just walk out. <laughs> see all of these movies i genuinely like there's this list of movies i would like i uh you would have to you would have to hold me down to make me watch clockwork orange it can't clockwork happen orange is wild I it can't, is really wild just because it would you would you would have to torture me to make me because i have trouble 
with have you ever with, seen any of it i've seen i've seen clips of it and but that is it and and that's and the I'm, violence is pretty wild is it well and oh, the there's exorcist, rapes, there's beatings there's murders i remember when i was like seven or eight years old my brother scott came home and he said that he saw the exorcist and someone got possessed during it he was 14 <laughs> and i was 10 near the, near the milk duds <laughs> he claims to this day and he's got near the fit. junior mints <laughs> It was hilarious. I was like, and a <laughs> stop spitting good and plenty's on me. I'm possessed. No, you're being a dick. And he had to be exercised using red hots. <laughs> Remember red hots? They had the cellophane and you'd sheet them. Oh, oh yeah, it was the greatest. And, uh, but yeah, like, so there's like, sk- I remember I made a trade in college. I said, I will watch the omen if you watch pillow talk. Uh-huh. And so I watched omen and then my friends blew off pillow talk and I was like, well, you lose. Yeah. Cause, uh, the omen was excellent, but it was terrifying and yeah. I didn't like it. A decapitation on screen. Right. Uh, Leo spooky, McCurry. spooky, tiny children and uh dog you know. buried in a child's grave What's and gregory peck going he's only a boy <laughs> <laughs> this sort of yeah we were at a party years ago and a wedding in fact and uh it was one of these fancy places in la it's outdoors and whatnot and one of the people at the wedding got drunk and started to sing the rose in a corner no one could see them <laughs> so course. we're all sitting at tables outdoors and you know how la is the tables are kind of slanty because it's a hill and so we're all sitting there yeah it is a river. right <laughs> Where, where is it coming from? Then you see one of the women in the wedding parties fucking ripped. And it's just grabbed the mic from the DJ and is fucking singing it. The guy sitting across from me is a movie producer. And I go, it's all for you, Damien. It's all for you. And he, I, I thought he was going to give birth at the table. Uh, everyone else at the table was like, why is it so funny? And he was like, oh, my God. The omen, man, the omen. We used to do that in high school. The two jokes we'd always do are, it's all for you, Damien. Uh, um, and then I had she's my mother, she's my sister, my daughter, my sister, my daughter. And then when we drop people off when we were drunk in high school, we let them off at their house and they'd be like, shh, you know, you know, idle the car up to the doorway, right? And then we go, Chinatown. Uh, and just fucking fade down away the horn. Oh my god. The end of Chinatown, right? Yeah. The, the 70s has a million good movies. I'll put it up against any fucking decade. Uh, they always say 1939, but I was showing one, uh, like a year ago. I can't remember which one. What's up, Doctor? Something. It was like 74. And when I looked at the list of movies from 74, Boonwell made a movie that year. Kurosawa made a movie that year. Antonioni made a movie that year. Wow. Scorsese made a movie that year. Lena Vutner made a movie. It was like, it's overwhelming how many great films. I mean, everyone we're talking about here. Yeah. Everyone knows a line from Chinatown. Everyone knows a line from Star Wars. Everyone Godfather. knows a line from The Godfather. Even if you've never seen it, it's in the fucking culture. It's like, those are like, it's like folk music, you know? Everybody, or what right, used everyone to be knows, music. well, uh, if we were to break into folk songs, everyone, like Home on the Range, everybody knows the words. <laughs> but that it is, I mean, when I was looking at the list of it, I mean, every movie I've either seen it, what I like is I just saw some of these. I just saw Saturday Night Fever probably. Not eight, a bad nine, movie. Well, I had been led to believe 
that it was uh, an iconic dance film instead of a gang rape film. Yeah, it's it, it, it's way more rapey than you remember. It's so much more rapey than yeah. I was led to believe. It's scary. There's a suicide. There's rapes. There's, there's a suicide. He jumps off the... It's holy terrible. hell. It's it a was, lot of teenage angst. Right. And it was one of those those things where I took my nephew to it, and he was like 11. Yeah. And then years later, years later, I gave my nephew, a different nephew, uh, not learning, not learning at all. Uh, I gave a different nephew a movie because he said that he loved anime. Uh-huh. And uh, so I got him that, what is the Japanese two little kids coming out of Nagasaki? It's Firefly? Yeah. Grave of the Fireflies. And I didn't watch it before I gave it to Uh-oh. him. And he was 10 years old. Tears. Right. And so I Tears. call him. Well, he's an artist now. He's a very lovely young man. Anyway. <laughs> He did the Ranger of the He Dark survived Forest. the trauma you have. Right, because I call him and I was like, hey, did you like that? His name's Salmon. I didn't, we didn't name him. Anyway, it's, he had to become an artist. Anyway, uh, so, but the thing is, is I said, did you like the movie? And there was this pause and he goes, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really sad. And I was like, was it? It looked, it looked good. And he was like, no, it was good, but you know, they, they, two, but it's about a brother and sister are coming out of Nagasaki. And I was like, what? What happened? What did I send you? Yeah. I was like, what did I, what did I do? And he was like, it was beautiful. It was, looked really cool. And I was like, oh shit. And then after that, I started reading everything before I, and, and watching yeah. everything yeah, and yeah. listening. No, Saturday Night Fever is not a lighthearted, the dance scenes are fabulous. And they then were. The, that opening the shot clothes? of John Travolta's crotch when he's walking down the street. And they're playing. That is some hit movement. Yeah, and it's it. The soundtrack was so overwhelming, and that would that created one of the great. You know, any anytime there's a movement, there's always a white guy backlash, right? So disco was popular with gay people, black people, Latin people, and women. So immediately there was a disco sucks. We hate disco. They're all fucking fruit balls that like it. And then there was this violent backlash against disco. Where I always thought one disco has the last laugh because name a great rock band now. And yeah, everybody does dance music all the time. Dance music is common coin. Uh, whereas rock bands, that's a dying breed, right? Well, I mean, it's like, all evil. Will, never, will there ever be a band like Aerosmith or even Nirvana again? You know what I mean? That just dominates and has giant hits that's rock oriented. Uh, fuck to the no is the answer to the question. A lot of, I mean, and the whereas thing is, everybody people have been does yelling disco. things out all show, dead silence in this room when you right. said, what is, while well, everybody you know, goes, the Decemberists? Uh, yeah. Right? That's not what I'm thinking. Mumford and Sons? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, Disco ruled, and it still rules, and that was the movie that just blew it wide. That soundtrack sold so many copies and made the Bee Gees into a whole other entity. They they were a band before that, and they'd had hits, but they were the biggest band in the world after that for a wow. really long time. And uh, Boz Skaggs, who had a, a tremendous record that year uh, called um, Silk Degrees, thank you, uh, <laughs> that had two great disco songs on it, uh, Low Down and... Um, uh, the other one that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. And uh, in any case, he turned down being on the soundtrack. They asked him Ooh. to do it. And he took another disco movie called Thank God It's Friday. <laughs> so sadly, Lowdown is on the soundtrack to Thank God It's Friday. Oh, that's hilarious. I know, but like it was just mm-hmm. choices. So all these people who had one song on it, like the Tramps, who did Disco yeah. Inferno, or Yvonne Elliman, who's a Hawaiian disco singer, <laughs> who did If I Can't Have You... They had giant careers off the yeah. back of simply having a song on the soundtrack to a movie. Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. I heard this story about American Graffiti was that um, that George Lucas gave everybody a piece of the soundtrack to American Graffiti. Really? Yeah. And so uh, 
Or, uh, I don't know why my voice went up eight really? registers. Yeah. It was, well, it seemed like a super decent thing to do, and yeah, people are still getting checks on that. People you could live him. off of that, yeah. It's also a movie, speaking of 70s icons, Wolfman Jack is in uh, American Graffiti, and Wolfman Jack is so low-key and honest in it, you can't fucking believe it's him. Uh, Wolfman Jack hosted, what was it, Midnight Special or whatever? Yeah. And he was as jive as they come, right? Like, Wolfman Jack goes, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This neck band is Wolf Whitty's favorite band. It makes a howl of the moon. <laughs> Put your hand together for the Ohio players. <laughs> and in American Graffiti, he's like, hey, how are you? Like, so fucking low-key. Right, he played a, for laughs. Yeah, he it was a, awesome. He has a great scene in the movie, one little scene. Yep. And then when when uh, Richard Jarvis walks out of the studio, he hears him. He oh, hears him jump like, back oh into character. God. Yeah, it was yeah. him. He goes, I'll tell him if I see him, man. You know, I need to talk to the wolf, man. He's like, I'll tell him if I see him. Yep. And then two seconds later, here comes the late great buddy Holly. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's That's awesome. an interesting uh, picture. And that that one, like my sister's uh, about 11 years older than me, one of my sisters. And uh, I remember I bought the soundtrack because I was, I think, 10 or 11 when the movie came out. And for her... Like, I start playing it, and she'd be like, oh, fuck, this was in my, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because are... all the songs were from 10 years before. Right. And so she, it was her high school, straight up. Yeah. And uh, The Stroll. Uh, yeah. What was that? Uh, the Diamonds did The Stroll, right? And uh, uh, Little Darlin'. And, and there's a million songs. The, the American Graffiti soundtrack is a double album with, like, 50 songs on it. Yes. And it's uh, and he picks good songs too. Chuck Berry, but he doesn't pick Johnny Be Good. It's Almost Grown, which is a real cool Chuck Berry song. And um, you know I'm doing all right in school, right? And uh, everything's school with Chuck Berry. Yeah. And um, we're always graduating high school when we're (laughs) thirty. And you keep hanging out with kids. And at the end of the movie, they play uh, the Beach Boys, right? They play all summer long. That's the last one they. The, the, well, I don't want to. I would always skip to that one because yeah. my my stepmother had she was only she was ten years older than my oldest uh, oldest brother, and so she had the cool albums when we were growing up in the seventies. She had seen Malcolm X speak. Wow! And uh, and and my father is uh, a bit reactionary. Hmm. You know, like he hasn't voted since McGovern. He voted right. for McGovern, and I asked him one time why he doesn't vote. He was like, "Because nobody's on my side. Why would I vote?" And I was like, "You're an ent." Anyway, that is a Lord of the Rings reference. I'll be over here. Welcome to the Dork Forest. Uh, so, but the, uh, and. Speaking of which, is the, is the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings from the 70s? I think it is. Oh, right. There, there is a Lord of the Rings from the 70s, which is in rotoscope, which is a, an old-fashioned way that they used to, uh, yeah, yeah. shoot it. So they would, they dubbed, they would like used World War II footage from a Nazi film and sort of like dubbed horns and eyes on the orcs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty wild movie. There's also one called Wizards uh, by Ralph Bakshi. Oh, that a, one was brutal. And Fritz the Cat and all that. But, the, but he made a couple sword and sorceries movies in the, yeah. uh, in the 70s. Yeah, he was high. He way was before they could uh, do the way, I mean, you know, the Peter Jackson ones are a giant accomplishment, but there's a lot of CGI and a million shots of a million people fighting on a battlefield after yeah. a while. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I think that he, what I've always said about the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings is that he captures the world very well. He doesn't capture the story well no, for, no. for me. And uh, so what I recommend is people read the book. <laughs> there's a, turns out there's a, there's a book out there. You can even get it unabridged, read by some British dude. Yeah? Yeah. Tolkien was alive uh, in the 70s, and the book was really popular. I got it when I was in high school. In fact, I got the little red box set that has all the mystic runes on it and shit. (laughs) And we would get high and read it and whatnot, and then you'd forget because it's so fucking Leviathan that you 20 pages go by and you're like, where the fuck are we? (laughs) 
We are still we, at the party? Are we in Mirthwood or is Tom Bombadil <laughs> fucked off yet? And then, you know, so you'd have to go back and read it again. Uh, but people used to phone Tolkien in the middle of the night from oh, America, right. stoned. Uh, all through the time. 70s. And then those days, you picked up your phone, man. There was no such thing as fucking call waiting or any bullshit, right? Or even a message machine. Nope. nope. You just pick up the phone and go, yes, it'd be three in the morning in, London, in Cambridge, right? And they go, okay, that part where, <laughs> where Legolas says to her, <laughs> I love Faramir, man, click. Yeah. And that's what I would have done. Yeah. That's what I would look, I would have called Tolkien and then bothered him and he would have been disappointed. Uh, I would have, uh, having, I remember how expensive it was to have an unlisted number. Oh yeah. It was genuinely expensive huh? to have an unlisted number. And now people, because of course, famously, only Henny Youngman and Malcolm X, those are the two that I know of who were both in the book until their death. Yeah. Uh, because Henny Youngman was always, uh, wanted to be available if there was work. Right. Uh, which always confused me because I always thought he had people. Like yeah. an agent. Don't you have an agent or something? Right. Someone should be able to find you. And then, uh, Malcolm X said that he was in the book because his enemies never had any problems finding him. It was his friends mm-hmm. who couldn't find him. Fair so enough. he was like, well, if I'm, if everybody's going to find me, let's have Jim from grade school be able to find yeah. me. So whatever. But, uh, the, uh, okay. So let's do, uh, what, see, I've also never seen network. I understand oh, no. network's amazing. I, I've got, uh, I put a little chapter in my book, not to bring it back to the book, but that reason I bring it up is because uh, Sidney yeah. Lumet, I think, is a wildly underrated 70s director. And his three greatest 70s movies are Network, Dog Day Afternoon, and Serpico. And they're all three magnificent what? films. I saw Serpico. A- about three different things, right. Yeah. Serpico's the police corruption film. Dog Day is about how the media and the cops will fuck you over if you're an honest, hardworking veteran and this and that. And then, uh, uh, and Network is the most prescient of all the TV movies. They hire a, a terrorist gang to go around and kill people every week on a reality show. And they show the terrorist gang negotiating with the TV producers. Oh. And the TV producers are willing to do anything. And that's what makes it so awesome. Right. And they put in uh, assassinations, uh, every type of chicanery. <sighs> uh, and the actors are all, again, Faye Dunaway. So right. magnificent in that movie. Okay. Uh, there's a sex scene in it. Is it a happy ending? Uh, because it lasts about 30 seconds. <laughs> She gets on top of William Holden and goes, no, 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 and then she's done because she's all fucking business. And he thinks they're in love. And she goes, all I ever wanted from life was a 30 share. Ooh. It's fucking good. Network is a shocking film. Okay. Peter Finch is magnificent. He uh, does this great turn as the insane newscaster. It's the, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore, right? That's the famous line. Okay. And... He campaigned furiously to win the Oscar, right? He did every interview, and then he had a fucking heart attack a month before the show and died, and they gave him the Oscar anyway. Oh. So it was a very, it was a very memorable Oscar program. And then there's a, bu- a brilliant portrait of Faye Dunaway, and I don't know who took it. It's the next day at her house, and because it, it's the 70s, telegrams all over the table, oh, wow. and trade papers, right? Yeah. And she's in her, like, uh, night, night, you know, negligee type thing yeah. with mules on, exhausted at the table. like <laughs> Just kicked and back. I remember being so fucking sexed up, you know, like, <laughs> this is the day after the biggest day of your career and you won for... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, wow. It's just fantastic. Or am I confusing it with Chinatown? What did she win for? I think she won for Network. Oh, I thought yeah. All right. But anyway, I would say she's- all the Sydney Lumet movies are worth seeing. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Sidney Lumet, uh, L-U-M-E-T. Okay. He was okay. a TV director. Uh, he also made 12 Angry Men at the beginning of his career. Wow. And um, uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night with um, uh, Catherine Hepburn. Okay. And uh, Ralph Richardson and uh, Dean Stockwell. 
and Jason Robards, which is a tremendous uh, version of Eugene O'Neill. But then in, in any case, all of his movies are about social justice. All of his movies are about how you get fucked over by the system. The Verdict is uh, from the beginning of the 80s with Paul, Paul Newman. Newman. Yeah. I saw and, that too. And that's yeah. all an indictment of the legal system. Yeah, so yeah. I, uh, I put him in because I think in the big wash of Scorsese and, and Coppola and all that, he gets lost. But his movies are every bit as good as theirs. One and two, he never, ever made a fucking movie in Hollywood, not one. He stayed out of Hollywood, you know, uh, quite intentionally. Made all his pictures in New York or elsewhere. Wow. Even Network doesn't take place in Hollywood, and it's a movie about television. (laughs) Well, good for him. Holy hell. It's, uh, Thank you for bringing that one up. That's a that good movie. That's a good one. Uh, and then you said you never saw Smokey God and the Bandit. damn it. I'm as mad as hell. Yeah. <laughs> so you never saw Smokey and the Bandit. I have. I've seen parts of it. What does he say? I'm going to call you Froggy because you're kind of cute and I want to jump you and all that. Uh-huh. I mean, the, to be honest, we're talking about all this artistic shit. The biggest stars of the 70s were Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds by a fucking mile yeah. uh, in the world. I mean, in the world. Burt Reynolds did not. I don't think he made a movie in the 70s that didn't make money. And we're talking about movies like Gator. And right. uh, Sm- right. Smokey and the Bandit, uh, right. uh, 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 The Longest Shelly. Yard. Yep. And he often wears weird jackets that don't go all the way down, that kind of zip up and shit. And he's got that pimpy mustache and really tight pants and cowboy boots and a real hairy you chest You just described a bullfighter. Yeah. <laughs> That's Burt weird. Reynolds is the bullfighter. And he smokes cheroots, which is yeah. so 70s. <laughs> he smokes cheroots. <laughs> oh my god, the longest, uh, longest yard. Is that is how you the pronounce most that? I always thought cheroot. Is it cheroot? I don't, I don't know. God knows. I don't it. smoke either of them. Yeah. Cheroot I, I, or I thought cheroot. Burt Reynolds was a good star. There's also yeah. a really crap one, um, with called, oh, is he in that one or am I confusing you with another? Liza Minnelli, uh, James Caan and him, Lucky Lady, is it? Isn't that Burt Reynolds in that? And they tried to make this big extravaganza set in the 30s, like, because The Sting was so popular and right. there were so many period movies that were popular, they thought, we've got Liza Minnelli, let's stick her in this with yeah, two yeah. of the biggest stars in the world. And it just fucking sinks like a stone. Uh, uh, when was The Electric Horseman? That was then. Was that? The late 70s, yeah. Okay, because that was, wasn't that Robert? Uh, Jane Fonda, right? And Jane, F- yeah. Jane, F- That's Robert late 70s. Redford, but was it Don't Bar- even, was Robert Redford's 70 movies are so good. Jeremiah Johnson and Jane Fonda, yeah. Okay. Who's also an enormous star from the seventies. What a uh, Julia and whatnot and um Coming Home. Coming Home is uh the reason I would suggest you watch Coming Home or uh, Midnight Cowboy, which is just before the seventies, is Waldo Salt wrote those screenplays. And Waldo Salt is the only screenwriter I've ever seen interviewed who'd spend so much time preparing before he wrote the screenplay that he said it really writes itself. Because people say that shit all the time. But I'm here to tell you. Nothing writes itself. Right. If it writes itself, it would be shitty. That's what right. you have to think about things terrible. that you're writing and edit them. And uh, Waldo Salt spent ages writing those pictures, and uh, he only wrote four or five screenplays. And um, and every single one of them was they're superb. There's also a really crappy Gatsby from the middle of the '70s with Redford. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. like that one? It's okay. Sam Waterston, uh, Mia, yeah, Mia Farrow. Mia pretty. Farrow's the Gwyneth of the 70s. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of, you know. Uh, that's fine. I'm really rich. Care about me. Like, no, you're just, you're just moon-calfing <laughs> through the whole uh, fucking movie. Who was the Squinty McClintock of the 70s? Uh, what's, uh, who was... Reese, not Reese Witherspoon, uh, 
Renee Zellweger is the Squinty McClintock of of now, but who was the Squinty McClintock? There was in the Big Easy. That woman was the Squinty McClintock. Oh, Ellen Barkin. Ellen Barkin, who I love. But then Ellen Barkin's the, great. I love. She's Ellen. in Buckaroo Banzai. She can do no wrong. She can genuinely do no wrong. I was like, Buckaroo, who am I? <laughs> As far as I can tell, yeah, sister. Oh my God, hilarious! Now she's dead. Uh, That's all there is to say about that. How about the great comedies? How about the great comedies? Blazing Saddles. Uh, yeah, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, Annie Hall. Uh, there was a, a duel between Woody Allen and Mel Brooks all through the 70s. They were both in very good form. Uh, I think Love and Death is a very funny movie. Um, uh, I would recommend What's Up, Doc, because uh, yeah, Peter Bogdanovich, is, uh, his comedies are, are fantastic from the 70s. Um, there's also a movie, and I'm going to forget the screenwriter's name, Donald Westlake, uh, who, uh, a, a picture called The Hot Rock. That's uh, Robert Redford and George Siegel. George Siegel was an enormous star in the 70s. The 70s had some faults. And, um, <laughs> yeah, but the hot rock is really funny. It's a, it's a comedy caper movie and they, okay. st- they steal this diamond and they have to keep re-stealing it every two minutes. And I would, I would say that one's really, really fucking oh, funny. Oh, that sounds awesome. It is. It that is. It's like very funny. Good writing. If- Zero Mistel's in it and, uh, oh, cool. and it's impossible to tell what's going to happen next. And, uh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. It, it's really a goodie. Uh, I love that one. Um, there's also, no, I'm not going to mention those. There's also uh, uh, Madeline Kahn is in all of her greatest movies in the 70s. Yeah. And I would say she's the funniest actor from the whole of the 70s. Okay. And Young Frankenstein. Uh, uh, um, Blazing Saddles. And what's up, Doc and all those pictures. Yeah. She's, just, she's, un- she's an unstoppable force on screen. And she makes noises. There's scenes where, like, she'll be asleep or something, and she'll just go, And then when she gets flustered, she'll go, Like, it's it's un. Fucking believable how funny she is in scenes. <laughs> That's awesome. And the, yeah, I, I know that, uh, well, there's Monty Python, Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. All the, and, well, all the, their movies. And are, Animal House. But their movies uh, are kind of incoherent sketch movies, uh, that have, right. uh, that have great comedy scenes in them. Right, they're great comedy yeah. scenes. They're, they're scene based rather than an arc with a story. They can't write a plot. There's yeah. no plot to anything. And there's no need for them no, to. No, really, there's, no. They're, they're, they're good at what they do. Yeah. It turns out. And then, um, I remember seeing like all of those, you know, essentially the stuff that spawned like Porky's and, right. and all that bullshit. It's because Animal House, I oh liked it. That was huge. It was so huge yeah. that I didn't want to like it. Right. And, and I was like, no, I get it. It's, uh, and then Caddyshack and then, and then all of the it's things. It's the beginning of all that. It's the reason why there's uh, a million movies like that now is right. that those movies were the frat were boy, huge. uh, National Lampoonie, I, white, patty, Irish guy information movies. Ferris Bueller. Yeah. I remember watching Ferris Bueller thinking, I hate this kid. Yeah. I would ha- go to fucking school. What is your problem? Right. Stop wasting my time. But that's because I was a little nerd and I was like, no, I like going to school. There's something to do there. I'm the youngest of six. There's too many people at my house. Right. Get out. Get out. And right. And, so. your, and your father had people with broken noses coming over. <laughs> oh, no. I never had him over to the house. Oh, good. That's Thank the goodness. good news. Thank goodness. And, uh, so, but, like, the French connection was amazing. That's at the beginning of the decade. And then Friedkin made The Exorcist, and then he was untouchable. And then he made a movie called The Sorcerer, which was a remake of a picture called Wages of Fear by Clouseau from the 50s. And it died such a huge fucking death that, uh, what's his next movie after that? Uh, Oh, golly. Freakin's still around and still making movies. He made a killer Joe a couple years ago. Okay. Um, but French Connection and Exorcist were just overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, they were tidal waves. Uh, the French Connection started every goddamn New York cop movie for the rest of the fucking decade. <laughs> and they always had the same rules. You had to wear a gun on your ankle. 
And oh, ankle gun. Yeah, did yeah, they introduce? Yeah, yeah. Did he yeah, introduce? Popeye wears ankle a gun, gun on his ankle in that fucking movie. And um, you curse. It's the it's it's the beginning of motherfucker every other word in movies. Uh, and uh, and then The Exorcist, of course, is just. A, uh, I think it's unwatchable now. I don't know. It's some. I have a movie critic friend in England named Mark Kermode, who's the Guardian's movie critic, and he's quite a esteemed critic there. And it's his favorite movie. And every time I see him, I'm like, "You're out of your mind. <laughs> How can you watch that girl be tortured for two hours and say it's your favorite movie?" And he's like, "It's brilliant. You know, you have to understand the construction of it." And he's interviewed everyone in the goddamn that has anything to do with the fucking movie. Um, I find it hard going. Yeah. Uh, it's also unbelievably frightening. It really is. It was and Max terrifying. Lancido is yeah, tremendous yeah. in it. What about, okay, so now. So, what's her name? Ellen Burstyn. Ellen oh. Burstyn's two best movies are from then too. Right? Uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Uh, and, uh, which is a superb yeah. Scorsese movie. Okay. And the, one of the only Scorsese movies that's about women. Like, has he ever made a movie where there's a woman main character and she's the focus of it? And maybe her emotional journey has something to do with what's fucking going on in the picture? Um, <laughs> All of his movies are always guys going, fuck, 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 like every two seconds. And then people are like, he's the best director of all time. He's a director of all time. <laughs> it's, it's true. There's trouble. It's, uh, but you know what? I saw that. Did you just show The Getaway? No, but The Getaway is really wild. It's a peck and pawn movie. And his movies are, t- <clears throat> I've talked about this on my show, but I'll bring it up anyway. Yeah. Um, the Getaway's wildly violent and has um, some kind of nasty scenes in it, but uh, it is Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw. Okay, yeah. And there's a great scene in it where uh, they've got all the money and it's in the back, and uh, he draws into a burger joint and he goes, "I'll have a hamburger and a coke or whatever." And the guy goes over the over the speaker, "Do you want fries?" And Steve McQueen's so brilliant, he doesn't look in the back seat. His eyes just shift to the mirror for a second, mm-hmm. where all the money's in the back, and he goes, "Why not?" <laughs> And, uh, All right, that's worth watching a movie yeah, to see wild, that. Yeah, the Wild Bunch is from '71, and the Wild Bunch is uh, unbelievably over the top. Uh, Monty Python did a parody of Peck and Paul, right? Because that's when your arm gets cut off and the blood never stops shooting out of it. But the Wild Bunch has freeze frames and shutter shutter noises. Okay, like they, there's a scene where they blow up a bridge full of a posse. And the, everyone on their horses falls into a river. And they, believe me, Sam Puckinpah shot this. They, it's not, there's no special effects. They put half a dozen guys on horses on a fucking bridge and blew the bridge up, right? And these horses come screaming, the soundtrack, <laughs> right? And it, then it goes, <laughs> like that. It's just fucking great. <laughs> it's the first movie I remember where a woman gets fucking shot. At the end of the Wild Bunch, they're a gang, and it's at the turn of the century, right? So it's the end of the West and all that shit. There's cars, right? And uh, oh, they, right, because there's that crazy chase scene where there's right. horses and cars. Yeah, and they okay. p- they pull up, they pull up one last job, right? And they're being chased, and it's the cast is superb. It's William Holden and Ernest Borgnine and Warren Oates and Ben Johnson, and then the, the guys chasing them are um, Robert Ryan and Strother Martin, Strother Martin, who's uh, unforgettable in every movie. Uh, and at the end of the movie, they're shooting it out with the, you know, the gang. And uh, William Holmes' girlfriend shoots him in the back. And I remember being 10 years old. And he turns and he goes, bitch. And fucking bang. And they've got her on a fucking guy wire, right? So she fucking shoots across the screen <laughs> and slams into the wall. And I remember turning to my dad and going, can they do that in a movie? Oh. Can you shoot women in the head in movies? Wow. I was like traumatized. And they cut a guy's throat in it. It is fucking. But if you haven't seen a Peck and Paw movie, you have to see one. Because he really spends a lot of time 
the shots are amazing. Uh, it's, it's worth going back and visiting a couple of Peckinpah movies just to, cause he, he invented ultra violence on the screen. Like he really wow. perpetuates it. And, uh, but it's arty. I'm not fucking kidding. There's real, there's real art in it. Uh, and then the, in one scene they, they rape and kill everyone and shoot everyone. The next scene they ride into a village and the villagers press them with flowers and there's a parade and they give them t- gifts wow. and candy and they're heroes. So he keeps flipping the fucking, moral imperative of the West over and over a million times. There's no good guys at all in the movie, which, which when you're 10 is unfathomable. I was completely adrift, but now you might enjoy it as an adult. And then of course you'll come back and argue with me. I watched it and I didn't fucking like it. Yeah. Well, why don't you go fucking watch guardians of the galaxy again? You fucking illiterate moron. Greg, you're having an argument with yourself. No one's taking exception to anything you've said. Shut up. How about Warriors? Did you see the Warriors? I love the Warriors. And yeah, Walter Hill is a... I'm bringing it back from the edge. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> a lot of people say it's based on uh, uh, Seven Against Thebes, but it's based on this really wild old text called uh, Anabasis by Xenophon, who's an ancient Greek author about... That Greek Which army goes to fight the Persians, right? And they get stranded near the Caspian Sea and they have to fight their fucking way back to Greece. And that's what the warriors is, right? Oh, they go to the wrong right. neighborhood and they're a mythical group and everyone who comes at them is in a weird mythical outfit. Right, baseball right? uniforms. Baseball that's shit. the best. And, and, and so they keep running into these completely unlikely fucking gangs <laughs> who are made up and shit. Uh, and, and they, I don't, I can't remember the ending of it, but it, it, that, it, it, he took this, there like was a all meeting, great man. There was a, there was a, it was a meeting. They went to essentially, they went to, to discuss, uh, you know, what was going to be kept in the Bible and what wasn't. Right. And then, uh, and then they were going to take over New York as the gangs of New York. And then for some reason, oh, the leader gets killed, yeah. right? Spoiler alert from 70 years ago. <laughs> Uh, and then, so that's why, that's in the first couple of minutes, right. and then they have to fight their way back. Right, then, then they're in the wrong yeah. side of town, so they have to take the subway, they have yeah. to run down the street, and then, of course, the unforgettable warriors. Yeah, that's it. I, I remember when they jumped over the turnstile. I remember oh, yeah, my mind, great? It was, my mind was blown, I was like, shoes? you gotta pay. Why didn't you, you didn't pay? <laughs> How do you watch amoral movies, Jackie? You're such a beautifully moral person. I'm making up for lost time. The warriors is a good a. <sighs> Uh, I wouldn't recommend it before everything else, but it's definitely worth watching. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's... It's, I, I think... Uh, uh, I got. I clearly Dog have Day. to Dog see... Dog Day's the, a better, you know... I got to watch The Three Musketeers again. Because uh, I, I haven't it. seen that since I was a kid. And then The Four Musketeers, which is a slightly right. more depressing. Right, The Hot Rock. I got to see that. I want to see some Pam Greer movies, I'm told. Oh, uh, Charlie Varick with Walter Matthau is a really terse fucking uh, kind of film noir picture. Uh, spoiler alert, his wife dies in the first reel, and he fucking just... And then they pull this huge caper, and the bad guy's Joe Don Baker. If you know who Joe Don Baker is, yeah. And uh, Joe Don Baker is a savage fucking bad guy in this movie. And Walter Matthau's really good in it. They steal money. They steal a shitload of money, like half a million dollars or something. And it turns out the money belonged to the mafia. And so that's where the whole, like, he realizes immediately, oh, fuck, we stole money from the wrong fucking people. Yeah. Like, you can't just take this money and run, right? And so the mafia sends Joe Don Baker out to get them. Oh and that's God. called Charlie Varick. Uh, he's, Charlie Varick. Walter Matthau's in th- uh, three amazingly terse, 
uh, uh, kind of noir gangster movies in that era. The Taking of the Pelham 123, uh, which is this where they kidnap a subway train and it's uh, Robert Shaw. Okay. And then another one called The Laughing Policeman with Bruce Dern. Oh, That's right. like a procedural where yeah. they're, they're partners. And Laconic doesn't begin with Walter Matthau because he's... <laughs> <laughs> Walter Matthau brilliantly called himself the Ukrainian Cary Grant. (laughs) I remember seeing him in the Bad News Bears and thinking, I want that guy to be my dad. Yeah. Yeah, the drunk. He's so funny. He's He's such a wonderful actor. He's so great. And he could do drama as well. And the other actor I'd put forward to you in another two movies that you should see is uh, 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 Glenda Jackson. Glenda Jackson uh, won the Oscar for a real cornball movie called... uh, uh, Oh, golly, I've just blanked on the name of it. It was with George Siegel. It was a rom-com. Uh, but she also made in that decade Hedda Gabler and, uh, and loads of other pictures. And look was up the Glenda one where he was, a, he was a dentist? Walter Matthau was a – anyone remember? It was a romantic comedy. I, I do. From I the do. 60s. House Calls, I think it's Oh, called, that was what it was. With it Richard was terrible. Benjamin. It was terrible. Yeah, it's awful. And, uh, There's also one where he owns a horse called Casey Shadow. And, right, and I wanted to like it with yeah. the power of the sun because I love Walter oh, I'm Matthau. I'm trying to give you that. Yeah, yeah Laughing was, Policeman and Pelham 123 are, are, are decidedly good Walter yeah. Matthau movies. Uh, I remember the first not funny uh, Jack Lemmon movie I saw. Save which, the Tiger. That's from the 70s. Yeah, I didn't see that. I uh, saw the 60s one, The, the Apartment. Oh, like, the apartment's magnificent. It was magnificent. And I was like, he's not funny at all. Well, it's and, a, it's a, it's well there were a couple of funny movie. lines in it, but it's such a great movie. It doesn't matter, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, it was – it was my my mind was slightly blown by him not doing – I was like, oh, he cannot be funny. Yeah. It's, uh, it was kind of good. He was he was Wilder's favorite lead. And uh, there's a the brilliant dialogue, of course, in the, that picture. Uh, and my favorite one, uh, that's the way things crumble, cookie-wise. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, uh, it has been uh, an hour and 15 minutes, so oh my we got to get out of here. But I know it. It's uh, The Dork Forest is the funnest, and you guys are the best for coming out and seeing the show. And the L.A. Podcast Festival, I thank them so much for coming out to see the show. Greg Proops, of course, smartest book in the world, smartest man in the world, Greg Proops Film Club at Greg Proops. Uh, go see all things Greg Proops because it's they're always good. So, so thank fine. you so much for uh, coming out. Thank you. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. My hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?